Thinking of the churches that are made mention of in, in the scripture, um, you know when Paul wrote his letters, he wrote several to seven churches. He's got seven letters there that, that went out to churches. And he wrote these letters in about a 10, 11 year time period between 52, 62 AD that, that he addressed the churches. And then he also addressed uh, um, other people. And there were several of those. And those he only, it only, he wrote those in about a two year time span because around 68 AD, and depending upon who you read and who you're, you're looking at, you know, what they chose as a date, they choose as a date. Um, Revel uh, basically about the summer of 68 AD, it was a time that Paul was going to be offered. His ministry would come to an end. And, but those seven churches that he wrote, those seven letters that went to these churches, there were letters that, that we're familiar with and we know the Corinthian church, they, they had, they, they were just abounding in problems. And, but then the, the Ephesus church, uh, now that was, a, that was interesting. Yeah, that was a, a church that, that the letter wasn't a corrective letter, it was a letter that, was, uh, that, that taught them, reminded them of the heavenly things that God has in store that God was doing. And I, I, I feasted on that, that particular epistle, that letter to that church of Ephesus. And uh, you need to read it, read it again. Um, read it slowly. I put aside the fast reading. I, I occasionally, rarely, I'll do a fast read of a particular portion of scripture or a book or something. But I like to go back and it seems like, you know, that there's so many things that just gravitate and that grab a hold of uh, my thoughts and my mind real quick when I just get into a portion of scripture. But these, these churches, the letters to the churches went out in the apostolic age. That was during the, the vibrancy of church planting in Paul's day. But... Then there are seven more letters to churches that, goes, that go to the seven letters that, that come from the Apostle John. And we're familiar with those in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And in, in those letters, uh, John was delivering messages to these churches virtually from Christ. And there's some things in this portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 1 to start with and that I just want to draw our attention to because uh, these letters to these churches were not only just, they were directed to these seven churches, but the truths that are spoken of there that there are things in there that, that that would pertain to us and that we can draw some encouragement and, and, and we can 
uh, enlighten our minds and our hearts and I think that, that reflect upon the messages that Christ had delivered through John to these churches and the importance of what was said in there. The, the truths are the same today for us. And we find that that there was two churches that were commended. But there were five churches that were warned. They were told to repent. And a lot of times we associate Christianity, modern day Christianity, associates repentance mainly for the lost people, but really repentance in scripture is more for church people than it is for lost people. It fits for the lost too. But really it's, it's, it's those that are born again that need to repent. They need to check. They have to have a change of mind which will lead them to a change of practice. And at the beginning of the new, this new year, I think that those are good thoughts for each one of us that, and maybe encouragement that, that we need to start to look again at this matter of the churches and our church in our own personal life and see where we need to look over, we need to review our lives, we need to uh, analyze our daily activities, our weekly activities, monthly activities, and we need to make a, another reassessment of am I all that God wants me to be? Because one day we will stand, as we all know, we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. And I believe there's going to be an accounting for our personal growth and development as well as our service for the Lord. Because both of them are vitally important. Our service revolves around our personal spiritual growth. Well, it should. Some people get that flip-flop. You know, they, they, they think because of all the things they're doing, that means that then they're spiritually mature or they're growing. And, and that's not always the case. But God is interested in both aspects in each one of our lives. And, and the beginning of this year is a good time to start to do another reassessment, another revaluation of, of where we are. If we would go back and, and look just briefly uh, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, we find uh, in Acts 17, when he, Paul was, this is the part of uh, his, the history of Paul being in Athens, and uh, he was at Mars Hill, and uh, we could read this portion of scripture, but maybe that's, it did just take up a little bit too much time, I think, for what other things that I'd like to share with you. Uh, but it's a good portion to read, you know, that at God, where, where Paul was telling those at Athens, at Mars Hill, he was, he was reminding them, he was telling them, because he was, he was addressing this, he was going to move his message to address this unknown God that 
that they had just in case they missed any. In any way, he's reminding them in verse 24, God made the world and all the things that are in it. Um, he gave them, made everything else. You know, he made all the animals. He gave them breath and it goes on. And uh, in verse 30, in the times of this ignorance, uh, uh, things of uh, not knowing the truth about the, the Godhead, times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. It, 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 we understand that the judgment day the world will be judged. Things of the world. That's in, in Acts 17. If we go over to Acts 19, and we look at Acts 19, notice verse 8. And, and here's Paul in the vibrancy of his ministry. Uh, he went into the synagogue. Here was that. This is the synagogue at Ephesus. He spent some time there. He went into the synagogue and spake. Uh, boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. That was Paul. He was active in discussing the matters of Christ. Now, he was called to do that, granted. But we are all called to be witnesses, sharers of the word of God. In that realm, in that circle of people that, that we are involved in in our daily lives. And some that we just come across along the way. Uh, it says in verse 9 that some were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And then verse 10 and this continued by the space of two years. Persistence. If there's some little things that we need to pick up and observe from the Apostle Paul, I think it'd be that. We have to learn persistence in the things of God. To that they all which dwelt in Asia, so that all they which dwelt in Asia, all they heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Getting the word out. There's one thing that God expects out of the churches, out of assemblies like this, is that the word get out. And there are two, basically two avenues that we can look at. Uh, we, we can, if we can't go to some place, and I discovered this, uh, the thought came to my mind many years ago, my first mission conference, when I was just starting out on deputation and that, and I went to this one mission conference and the thought crossed my mind. In that conference, there was a man at the start of the conference, just a, just a few days before the conference started. The man had been in church, I think it was on a Wednesday night, conference started on a Sunday. That man came to church, he walked down the aisle, but to carry him out because he died in church. And it, it, the thought crossed my mind, what, what, 
what a place to be when you pass. But then it dawned on me that person was, would never be able to give another offering. There are things in life that just ended. He'd never get to hear another message. He'd never get to fellowship with the believers in that assembly again. It finished. His life was finished. But then I thought too, you know, if life would end, or if life went on, like for the rest of the people in the church, life continued on, but they couldn't go because of circumstances at the house and everything. And they, then again, they weren't called, perhaps, to be a missionary. But if we can't go, we need to have the vision of sending somebody in our place. Help somebody else go. And I think that, that's a simple truth that, that, that I picked up early in, in that ministry with missions. That, that to get a, a comprehensive idea, I kind of, well, what was going on with me? I, I was the opportunity. We were the opportunity as a family to be able to go and to share the gospel when others couldn't go, which is okay. But, but that idea that by the time Paul finished up, wrapped up his ministry, virtually it was said that all of Asia had heard the word. And it wasn't a lot, a lot of time. 40, 50 years maybe? But by the time Paul finished, you know the story. Those that he had ministered to and he poured his heart out to and that he led to the Lord and that he instructed in the word, they turned their back on him. And in a sense, I think Nancy and I had a taste of that along the way in, in the course of our ministry too. But here we find that in a short period of time, by the time we get to the book of the Revelation chapters and looking at chapters 2 and 3, we find that, that the church had come to a point where, well, things had changed. The, church, the, the teachings in the church had deviated from that which the Apostle Paul had made mention of, that he had shared with them. And in those churches, in the warnings to the churches, uh, a lot of warnings uh, were given. And, and it, it would help each one of us to go through and pay attention to those. And just, just as a checkup. Because our church is just as susceptible to, to Satan getting a foot in the door as any other church. And so the, the Word of God is so precious. And it's so important that each one of us need to know what God has said 
That's why it's so important for each one of us to be actively involved in the Word of God throughout the days and weeks and the months. It's not enough just to hear a message on a Sunday. We've got to infiltrate, we've got to bring that Word of God into our minds and into our hearts all the way through the week. Because it's the Word. It's God and His Word. Now we go to Revelation chapter 1. And we start off here. And there's some things I, I want us to, to, to just to take a glimpse at that I, I trust will stir us and stir our minds and our hearts to the realization of what's really going on. You remember what Jesus said. He told the apostles, he said, if two, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And Christ is just as really here with us today because we've gathered in his name. He's in our midst. Do you remember when he rose from the, rose from the grave? And after he had gone up a while, he appeared to the disciples in the room. He appeared to them. He was in their midst. And just as he was in their midst then, he is in our midst today. Now, we may not see him, but we have his word on it. And so our gathering together to feast on the word and look at the things of God. This is a special time because he's with us in a special way in our midst. And I believe God wants us to realize that. Not just know it in our minds, but, but to really pitch our mental tents on that and realize the, the, the rich truth of the, that statement. He's in our midst. Now in Revelation chapter 1 and starting with verse 4, John talks about the seven churches which are in Asia. He says, grace unto you and peace uh, from him which is, which was, and which is to come. talking about Christ. We know that. We know also that it, it, he is also recognized in verse 8 where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord. This was the Lord speaking to John. And John was just sharing this truth with us. He is the beginning and the end. And we know that. We can go to Colossians chapter 1. Everything was created by him and for him. Not only did he create it, he sustains it. And these are truths that, that we're familiar with. But yet, sometimes we need to be reminded of these astonishing statements. 
He created everything. And everything was created by him and for him. And we fall into that classification of the for him. You exist for him. That makes you and me, that, that makes all of us, we are people, special people. I like what Jerry was sharing this morning in Sunday school. We're chosen. We're jewels. We're to be a kingdom of kings and priests. Rulers and worshipers. And so in, in Revelation chapter 1, we, we see a focus. And, and that's what we don't want to lose sight of. The, the focus of all of this is Christ. Our focus needs to be throughout this year on Christ. We reach out to other parts of the world because Christ needs to be known. That's what the Apostle Paul did. I was reading just recently this past week, I've, I've been reading some in, in the book of Hosea. And you remember Hosea, where, where Hosea is, is, is spoken of, and, and, and he becomes an illustration, he becomes a type, it, and it's a picture of, of God setting the northern tribes of Israel aside. Because in the book of Hosea, Israel isn't referring to the whole nation, it's only referring to the northern ten tribes. And they were divorced from God. Not Judah. Not according to that book. And God tells how he, he's divorced them, he's put them away because of their idolatry, because they got involved, in, they became more like the pagans and not like what they should have been. A living testimony to them. And, and that same idolatry syndrome, I think, could, could very well fall into our classification, into our personal being as well. We could become like that too. We could become idolatrous. They were God's people that became idolatrous. And born-again Christians can come, become that way today. We're warned about that. We're warned about, uh, about the things of the world and the flesh and the devil and how through those things he's trying to pull us away from the plan of God for our lives and to miss out on the joys and the blessings that can come our way. Our focal point is Jesus Christ. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And then it says in verse 8 also, he's the beginning and the end. And then we come to the churches. 
churches was what we find in, the, in this passage here in, in one and then two and three he's in their midst he's observing he, he's taking notes and I don't think it's so much to frighten the churches, but to let them know about the seriousness of God's work. To see Christ as the central and a focal point of the ministry. I think back with the Apostle Paul going out, the disciples going out and ministering. Remember back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's why he's so concerned about the church. The, the term church in that portion of scriptures, ecclesia. That's one of the chosen terms by the Spirit of God to reflect, to tell us what the church is like. It's an assembly. And, and, and this matter of, of the church being an assembly, but we're local, obviously, here, but then yet there's a more of a universal aspect that, that goes along with this, and that it spreads wherever there's an assembly of those that believe in Christ, they are the church too. So there are local assemblies, but yet then God chose, has another word that he uses, and the word is soma, and that appears in the epistle to the Ephesians, and it talks about the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. It's not just an assembly. An assembly, is our, I think, reflects our gathering, but the body reflects our service. We're not only assembled together, but now we're to minister, we're to serve together. And we serve each other, but then we reach out beyond each other and we, we serve outside of our assembly as well. But Christ is in the midst. Christ is the focal point. Why do we do this? It's because of Christ. And a lot of times I think we get so caught up and there's so many churches that get caught up in their production of worship that they, they, they've lost the awe. They, they've lost the, 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 the value of Christ in their midst. And so here we find that, that, that Christ is the focal point. And he was here among these churches. And the question was, what is going on? What's going on in these churches? And the question we need to ask ourselves, I believe, is what is going on within the church, our church here, our assembly? Because we know that, that Christ is in our midst and Christ is evaluating and he's looking at what we're doing or not doing. 
what we're believing or not believing. He wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. He wants our minds to be opened up to the Word of God. And He does that through the Holy Spirit, through His Spirit. So that we can know the truth. We know in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 to 20, the Great Commission, as some would say, where Christ told the disciples what He was expecting them to do, what they were to do. They were to go and to make disciples. As they were going, they were to make disciples in all the nations. And so that's one of the responsibilities of our church, of our assembly, to make disciples. And so that has to be. That, that has to be a part of our program. And we're, we're working together and we're concerned about each other and helping one another be a good disciple of the Lord. And there are others that need to know and need to be involved in this. So, with the consciousness of Christ being in our midst, what are we doing? What are we doing? Then I look at this passage again in Revelation chapters 1 and verses 2 and 3. And we find this thought that comes to my mind. Who is speaking? In chapter 1, John hears a voice. And he's looking around to see who is speaking. And he encounters the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is speaking. And so he finds that, that, that Christ is speaking. And then what is the other response? In the churches, the question comes up seven times. Who is listening? Those of us that have ears to hear, let them hear what the Lord has to say. In the address to each one of those seven churches, who else is speaking in the churches? It's the Spirit. And that's caused me to, to ask myself the question, how well am I hearing the Spirit when He speaks? How well can you discern the Spirit of God speaking? Because He does. He does. And so, we need to be on track. We need to have ears to hear. Not only eyes to see. John looked around to see who was speaking. And he feasted his eyes, he focused his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he had to 
focus, he had to tune in his ears to what he what was being said. Who was speaking? It was Christ through the Spirit that was speaking. Christ was speaking to him in chapter 1, the Spirit speaking in chapters 2 and 3 to the churches. And then the question, the logical question is, what is the Spirit of God saying? What does the Spirit of God, what is He saying to you? What is He saying to us corporately as the assembly, as the body of Christ? This year, I believe, and this time in our lives, more so than ever before, we need to focus our attention on the presence of Christ. We need to be focused people. And we need to be focused on the attention on the program of Christ and not that of the world. And boy, we got all sorts of nonsense going on in the world, in our own country, and we can get caught up into that so easily. What are we to do about that? What does God tell us to do about that in his word? We go to the book of Romans. We have to learn to obey the authorities over us, but then we also need, we need to know the value of prayer and the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much because God listens to those that pray. That's why we need to be a people of pray. We need to be people that pray. And I'm sure you remember the, the saying of Christ where he said, my house shall be called a house of And I think not just occasional prayer, but earnest and effectual prayer. We need time that we gather together that we can pray earnestly and effectually. So we need to see Christ in our midst. And then we need to see who's speaking. whether it be Christ and the Spirit of God. And then we need to pay attention to what he is saying. Because what he says and what he is, how he instructs us is going to lay the foundation for what he's going to be looking at when it comes to judgment time. So we need to know. We need to be able to see him and recognize and realize he's in our presence. We need to be able to recognize his voice. And we need to heed what he's saying. Because if we would go through these two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we'd analyze these churches, that's what basically what he's saying. Some were caught up in the things of the world. Some were thinking. They thought. They thought. 
They were rich and they had need of nothing, they thought. But their thinking was wrong. One thought that they were poor and they, they didn't realize how rich they were in Christ. And we fall into that same category as our thinking. We think, but it's not according to the word. We need to learn to think according to the word of God. And we know that. But we need to practice that. We need to do that. We need, that needs to be a goal and an objective of our, each one of our lives as we go through this next year. I should say this year. So, the gathering together, just, just a few observations, I think that are, are critical for us to pay attention to. Christ was there in John's midst, and he showed them. He saw, but not only did he see, he heard. And he paid attention. He heeded what he heard. He recorded it for our admonition. May we be that kind of a person this year. That we want to hear the voice of God. That we won't be satisfied. We won't be settled in our lives until we can discern and distinguish and constantly hear what the Spirit has to say. And that we keep focused on the presence of Christ. You can't go wrong when you're focused on the presence of Christ. You can go wrong if your focus gets off of Christ. So simple truths that I think should stir our hearts and should cause us to keep our focus right, keep our hearing right, keep our hearts right, and settle for not less. Don't settle for less. And so, Father, as we contemplate these thoughts, these truths that are manifested in your word in very real ways, may they stir us, Father, to a higher level this year of being a disciple of yours, to listen to what you have to say, to learn obedience, to obey, Obedience isn't grievous. It's joyous because of the blessings that come, the rewards that come, the peace, the contentment that we'll experience as we obey your word. May we dedicate our lives anew and afresh that this year we want to explore your word with more fervency than ever before. And Father, that you will do a great work in our lives. For your name's sake. And for all that you do, we will thank you and we'll praise you. For it's in the name of Christ, your Son, my Savior, that I pray. Amen.